0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce The Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash Track, and thanks. Did you watch any of Glastonbury this past weekend? I almost, I almost... Got a VPN and said, oh, I'm going to pretend that I'm British and watch it because it's the sort of thing I wanted to have on all weekend long. It reminded me of Live Aid back in 85 when all that Saturday there was like music on, live music from from England. It would have been amazing. So I thought, well, this weekend, that's what I'll do. And I never got around to doing it.
1: Well, it's not too late. The BBC films a lot of what's at Glastonbury, and you can watch it on the iPlayer, which is their website where you can play back stuff. It's probably available for months, if not for a year. And they film all the big shows, and they film some of the small ones. They didn't film Frippin' Toya, unfortunately, who performed in one of the really small tents at Glastonbury.
0: And I would have liked to see that. Like a pup tent? I, like like four people saw them?
1: I saw a photo. It was probably a couple hundred, okay. So it was oh, pretty wow. small. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty small. But I did watch part of Elton John last night because he's Elton John. Because, you know, when you have a performer like that, his first time ever at Glastonbury, his last UK concert, he says. Now, he's been on a farewell tour for years. So take farewell tours with a grain of salt. But he's a consummate performer. You can't, what can you say about it? I mean, I I think the thing that I found most interesting is that he's like in his mid-70s, everyone in his band playing with him was geriatric.
0: Now, that I like that idea because I'll bet there's a lot of famous people in there that, you know, why wouldn't they be able to play well unless they're out of their mind or something or they have, or they have arthritis or something. But there's no reason why older musicians can't do a great job. I mean, no, it's
1: true. And he, he introduced them at the end, but I could not make out the names as he said them. So I'd have to look it up and see who they were. The guitarist had chops. Definitely. There were two drummers, a percussionist, guitarist and a bassist. The the triple drum percussion section thing is interesting, kind of like what King Crimson does. Although when King Crimson did, because they're not going to be performing anymore, it was more of a power thing. Whereas here it was more for subtle... For effects. Well, ornamentation, a lot of it. I mean, th- there were some elements where, you know, there's some pounding rock and roll and the drums are heavy, but there was one guy doing a lot of bongos and small cymbals. He's
0: got a very diverse catalog of music and there's not, you know, he'd need a lot of instrumentation to make sure he can cover all the bass.
1: He had a bunch of special guests and I don't know who most of them are. In fact, I didn't know who any of them were. I I did recognize, so he had one guy come out to sing Tiny Dancer with him. And apparently this is the lead singer from The Killers. Now, I thought The Killers were a punk band. And this guy comes out in this sort of cherry red two-piece suit with wide lapels, you know, kind of 70s shaft suit like this. I guess I don't know The Killers. I kind of remember my son had a Killers record 10 or 15 years ago, but I don't know. There was another guy, a large black man in a pink suit. Who sang another song.
0: Oh, large black man, pink suit. Mm -hmm. And
1: with a gospel choir. Uh I don't remember which song it was. And there was a a wispy young woman, very, very slim, in kind of like, she looked like she was in Dune or something like that. Kind of weird, almost non-clothes that she was wearing.
0: We'll be back to Old People Describe Glastonbury (laughs) after these messages from Geritol. (laughs) That just goes to show how out of touch we are. I mean, I don't even care anymore. Frankly, I mean, if someone says uh, there's a new band that's good and I should pay attention to them, I will. I was going to talk this morning about a commercial that I'd seen for this is quite an aside from talking about live music, but there's a series of ads that are running for Sirius x m over here advertising the fact that you don't need a radio receiver. you can get it on the app and the joke is is that all the famous celebrities who are have shows on Sirius x m all live together in this fabulous house. And there are, you know, and comedy ensues for each of these little, little adventures. And that's what made me think I only knew about half the people in the commercial. I, and I'm sure they're incredibly popular. I knew the older ones. I knew Alanis Morissette and, and Alice Cooper. But the other two or three people that mm. appear in it, I wasn't sure who they were. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What's, I, yeah. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of the people, but I am. And you are now. I mean, I watch. I'm on Twitter. I, I pay attention to. I'm, I pay attention to what the kids are up to. But I guess I don't, so I shouldn't pretend that I do. But
1: we don't because there's so much more music than when we were. Well, we
0: talked about that.
1: Attentive sure. to music, we've talked about this many times. What I found interesting is, so if you see any photos of the way the crowd was set up, right, it was like a Woodstock-sized crowd, but split across several tents, as they call them. I would say there was 60 to 80,000 people watching Elton John. In front of the stage, there was like a kind of a semicircle where there was a space between barriers, right? And it was as if they put all the super fans in the front because they kept doing audience reaction shots of people with their Elton John signs and glasses and t-shirts and singing along to the lyrics, young and old people singing along to the songs. And that made, that reminded me that, of course, there's no Th- these young people—they don't know when this music came from. It's just there,
0: right? I know they haven't grown up with it. That's, I saw an article about that recently. What's it like to not grow up with this music? And, and, and in another regard, someone tweeted yesterday: people doing heart hands at gigs when they see a camera on them is killing live music. Yeah, I saw and that. I thought that was funny because the the audience is it becomes part of the show. And then you say that, you know they've got this special celebrity VIP area. Who knows what they're who's there if they're real celebrities or they' you no, know, they
1: weren't celebrities, but they were probably just super fans that maybe paid extra to get a a spot among among about a thousand people, right? but it was a cordoned off area
0: That reminds me by the way. I found out recently that the Hollywood bowl they used to have a pool in front of the stage. Yeah. for like water effects and things like that. And I'm thinking, that'd be great to bring that back. Wouldn't that be great?
1: I think I remember reading about that, something to do with a Doors concert. And a Doors concert with a pool in front of the stage, you can imagine that something must have happened like that. No, I think I think what's destroying live music is people filming with their phones while they're watching a gig as if, as if they can't go home and watch it on the iPlayer, right? A- as if they're going to... It's like taking a selfie with someone. You want a reminder, right, that you
0: were there, but but your video is crap. That's what you see it as. That's what you see it as. But somehow this means something. When you hold your phone up and record it, That there's, it's not just mindless, oh, I think I'll record this for posterity, the way we would record something. I think it's a different cultural thing. When you hold up your phone to say I'm I'm recording it it means something else yeah. I don't know what yeah. it is but it's not well, how we understand yeah. it we we're, we're from an older planet we don't you know we don't get that I think it's interesting that people do it. You're right. It does ruin everything.
1: My my son sends me photos and brief videos sometimes from concerts he's gone to, but I know he does not hold the phone up for a long time. He just wants to get a couple of photos, maybe a very short video. He doesn't want to watch music that way. The thing that I don't understand about Glastonbury is all the people with these flags on like 20-foot, I don't know what you'd call them, like big plastic things. they got flags, and I don't get the thing. It's like if you're in the back half of the 60,000, you can't see the stage at all because of the flags. They get in the way. I don't understand what the semiotics of that is. Now, speaking of screens and filming, so we're too old to have gone to concerts where they're showing the concert on a screen, the film of the concert on a screen at the same time. Right. They had two sets of screens, one on each side of the stage. Each one had two screens. One was the aspect ratio of a smartphone in portrait mode, and the other was the aspect ratio of a tablet in landscape mode.
0: Why wasn't I able to receive this in my home on my own iPhone and (laughs) iPad if they were already set up for it?
1: If you were in this country, you would have been able to put the BBC on or go to the iPlayer and watch it on any device you want. See, that
0: to me is just tremendous. That is just a tremendous thing, and it shouldn't necessarily have to be just for big festivals. But you and I have talked about this before. I mean... I keep going back to the Las Vegas residency. I would buy a subscription to Adele, uh, you know, weekends with Adele. I mean, I wouldn't, but I would. Something similar to that. And I don't know why, what's going on with that.
1: They do it it for the proms, which is the summer classical music concert. They don't film every concert, but they broadcast every concert on the radio and you can listen
0: back. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They do occasionally other things. I'm trying to remember maybe the Isle White Festival that was a few weeks ago. They did one or two gigs, but nothing as much as Glastonbury. And I don't know how many years they've been doing this, but it is a thing for them. It's, you know, it's it's a public service, right? It's public television, so it's their job to ensure that the people of the country can be in touch with music, be it old like Elton John or young like whoever the... Isn't Elton John uh, a knight? I
0: mean, for goodness sake. I'm sure
1: he's a sir, at least, if not something else. You know what I was thinking last night, though? We've talked in the past about rock stars getting old and dying and like, who's left whose death will make a big impact on society. And we mentioned... Mick Jagger, Bob Dylan, Keith Richards to a lesser extent than Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, Elton John's another one. Sure. If you look at the pantheon of the really big artists that everyone knows from the 70s, he's definitely one of them. I haven't thought about him in a long time because I think he did a thing in Vegas for years, didn't he? Like a long residency. So once they do that, you don't hear about them at all.
0: He had hits from the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, right along. He's been making music right along. And then he did kind of, then he got married, right? And that he had, uh, they adopted somebody or I'm not sure how that worked. Like, like I follow this stuff, like I don't. But I do know that, you know, you'd see him pop up on the news every so often. He's a father now and that kind of thing. So I think that kind of pulled him out of the limelight for a little while, but I think he still continued to make music. It's not important, really. It's his catalog.
1: I read recently that Billy Joel was ending his monthly residency at Madison Square Garden next year. So apparently for 10 years, he's been playing at Madison Square Garden for one month every year. The final performance will be his 150th lifetime performance at Madison Square Garden. Oh,
0: those were a lot of fun. I wish I had a ticket now. I wish, uh, you know, I should have thought to get tickets for that back in the day.
1: I, I saw him in this tiny theater. I think it was the Calderon Theater in Hempstead. Think of X movie theater that's doing some concerts, right? A thousand seats, just him and the piano. He was already playing piano man, so it must have been like just on the cusp of his breakthrough. It was fascinating. It was, you know, he's one of. There's something about that kind of pianist who just can play, as if their body's connected to the piano, right? And and singing at the same time, you know, it's the singer pianist thing that has a very interesting vibe to it.
0: I could never understand how Dr. John could play the craziest version of Tipitina yep. and sing it at the same yep. time yeah. as if he was drunk in a bar room. I mean, how do you do in that? You sound like two people, but it's not. It's one person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is amazing though. So let me just go pull up the iPlayer website and see what else is there and we can...
0: I mean, I don't mind watching it on delayed network tape, but um, it would have been fun to see live. And I mean, I will go look at it but it's not the same thing. You know, you don't have that visceral, I wonder what's going to happen next. You're pretty sure that, you know, the recording is going to be good. But the the the, the fact that I could have watched it live was, was very tempting.
1: What I find interesting is to look at the headliners and legends on the BBC iPlayer. I'll put a link in the show notes to the BBC iPlayer. You may not be able to watch it. But they had Elton John, Arctic Monkeys, Guns N' Roses, Blondie, apparently, who did a, a really good set. Manic Street Preachers, Foo Fighters, there was a surprise guest. Texas, and then Cat Stevens, the Pretenders, Rick Astley. I mean, they got Rickrolled even.
0: And he was having fun, from what I understand of the descriptions, he was having a lot of fun and the audience was really into it. So he's really into this goofy Rick Astley thing that he's that's been created around him. So it's it's great. <laughs>
1: Now, the lesser-known ones, at least to me, Candy Staten, the Chicks, Kellis, the Lightning Seeds, and Queen of the Stone, Queens of the Stone Age. <laughs> you now, don't know Queens the only of the I know, Stone
0: Age. You'd like Queens of the Stone
1: Age. The only reason I know them is because it isn't the guy in Queens of the Stone Age in another band as well that was playing at the Bataclan Paris when it was shot up that time? And he, he came out and band. he said no. that this wouldn't have happened if no. people had guns.
0: No. The leader of the other band said that. Josh Ami does occasionally play in that band. He was not in the band at the time.
1: Okay. Okay. But see,
0: that's got... I don't think he's going to be in a band anymore either. (laughs) Uh, The name of that band is... Why does it slip my mind? Uh, Eagles of Death Metal? Was that who it was? Eagles of
1: Death Metal. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. But so so other bands Sparks played, and I saw some footage on social media of Kate Blanchett dancing while they were playing. Now,
0: yeah, she's in the video. Spar- Sparks so she is showed up, and
1: Sparks is kind of interesting. I don't really, I mean, I know them, but I don't know them, and. There was a movie on, I've mentioned Movie, Mubi, M-U-B-I, this movie thing that I, that I subscribed to. And they had a movie recently, which apparently the story and the music were by Sparks. It was called Annette. It was filmed by Leos Kahaks, and it was Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, and they had a child named Annette. And it was really, it was a rock opera. It was really strange. It was like, it had the kind of Rocky Horror Picture Show vibes, the way the music was dealt with and stuff. I didn't know Sparks, but it was really clever. It was really a clever thing.
0: Sparks is a lot of fun. They some of their records are very funny and fun. That's all I got to say about that. <clears throat> I've had i've I've owned two or three Sparks records in my time, but they usually only have like one or two really great ones on it. Then the rest of them are awful, strange. Yeah,
1: I don't know Sparks at all. So the Murder Capital played. That's one of the post punk. Irish bands that my son really likes. We mentioned Fripp and Toya, who played on a very small stage. Apparently, Jockstrap performed. So that's good to know. You know, you think of weird band names, and it's like not the kind of thing you'd want to choose for a, what looks to be either a female fronted band or just a solo female singer. Viagra Boys also played. Plus,
0: and you know, you think, we're not thinking of the irony of what you know, we don't know what the band sound like, so when they have a silly name like Jockstrap, we're thinking, well, oh, it's pretty stupid. But for all we know, that plays right into their, you know, their C- shtick. Could their, be. Their ra- raison. And then
1: popular artists, who, again, I don't know very much, Lizzo, Lil Nas X, huh. Louis Capaldi, these are all... Oh,
0: jeez. Yeah, these are those big are all, names. Those are all famous people.
1: Ah, here's the <laughs> young woman who sang with Elton John, whose name I didn't know, Rina Sawayama. Can't tell you anything
0: about her, but... I can't either, but I've heard of her. That's who she is.
1: A lot of female acts, and there was some controversy that there were no female headliners, but apparently some large, big, big top-level female act had to pull out. Everyone thinks it's Taylor Swift, but it's not sure. So that's when they put, I think, Guns N' Roses instead of whatever female headliner they were supposed to be.
0: I thought it was weird that Guns N' Roses was headlining Glastonbury. I mean, that, well,
1: kind of, yeah.
0: Maybe they couldn't put Elton John at the top because that kind of makes it look.
1: Well, no, he was the he was the last night headliner, but uh, Guns N' Roses headlined, I think, Friday. the The pyramid stage is the main stage. That's the biggest one, and that's where all the big artists I see, perform I and see, headline. I see. I
0: see. I see. I see.
1: Well, but there was, you know, hundreds of others. And, and I'm only seeing, what, a few dozen here on the BBC iPlayer.
0: Yeah, well, you know, licensing, bobity bomb, bobbity-boom.
1: No, no, it's a question. They just film a certain number of concerts. Oh. That are interesting enough that, you know, enough people want to watch. I think they film everything on the main stage, the pyramid stage, and some on the others. But, I mean, Sunday was... The Bristol Reggae Orchestra and Windrush Choir. Sophie Ellis-Bexter, The Chicks, Cat Stevens, Blondie, Lil Nas X, then Elton John. I mean, that's that's a massive, you know.
0: That's pretty good. The Chicks, by the way, are the Dixie Chicks, but they dropped Dixie. They
1: dropped Dixie. That's you know right. Why. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because, yeah, stupid. Yeah. But the second one, other stage, Kid, Lana Del Rey, Queen of the Stone Age. They were the headliners. Then you get down to the smaller ones and the smaller ones, and Fatboy Slim was at the Park stage.
0: Yeah, that's another one I want to see.
1: Ricky Lee Jones on the acoustic stage. Gilbert O'Sullivan. Look at that. Oh,
0: my goodness.
1: And Toya and Fripp were there also. That's the acoustic stage. So that was a really small one. Names I know, like Steve Earle, Richard Thompson. I mean, he's, he's Elton John's age, right? Sure. Anyway, on the Glass website, you can see how many different artists there were, including there's a bar where there are people performing. And I guess there's like poetry readings and all sorts of, you know, it's meant to be, it's kind of weird that it only lasts a few days. I think it starts on Wednesday, actually. People can move in on Wednesday and it looks like the concerts, they start on Thursday. It's meant to be like a club med for people into music, right? I suppose. Uh, On unlike concerts back in the day, uh, festival concerts back in the day where it's just, you know, anarchy here, here they've turned it into a camping. It's glamping. Do you know what glamping is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's closer to that. So yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like fun. I mean, I'm still glad they, I'm glad they still do these things. It's nice to have all of this. It's great that the BBC broadcasts it. That just to me is, Mind blowing. You'd never get, you just, you know, as we've argued about, as I was arguing about 10 minutes ago, just don't see enough live music. It doesn't make sense to me. You and I will probably never go to another live rock concert again because it's just, no, why? And I, but I would stay at home and all day long and watch them. I, yep. I mean, I really, really would. I mean, yep. I'm, take my money. I'm ready to give you my money. They video it anyway. You know, they're miking it. I mean, it's going through a board. There, yeah. why can't they just broadcast it? It would just be—it would really be wonderful, and everybody would make money except me. But that's okay because that's why I make money, so I can give it to my favorite artists, so I can watch them perform for me.
1: Do you know how much tickets cost to Glastonbury?
0: No, I was wondering about that. Three hundred thirty-five pounds. Well, I think I'll stay home.
1: That's not bad for for four for, days. For of... four
0: day for the full four day ticket. Yeah. I guess I don't know. I don't
1: know. That's not expensive. You, Woodstock you pay was free from-
0: after a day. They, they Woodstock was free. <laughs> free.
1: Kenneth Branagh is doing a King Lear in London, and I got an ad on Facebook, and I looked, and the cheapest tickets are 150 pounds. So that means the front sections, probably like 500. They're all sold out. There were some in the middle at 250. So I think 335 for a weekend isn't that bad to see all those artists. But then again, you're not going to see them that well. If you go to the small venues, it might be interesting, but...
0: I just had a great idea. What if we lived on Earth 2, where instead of evolving huge PA systems, when you went to a concert, you were given a set of headphones. Mm. And everybody had headphones on. And then they mixed for the headphones. So you can be dancing around, but you're all listening to the same thing on headphones. It's exquisitely mixed. And you're you don't seeing hear them this... perform live. So you've and got. And you're seeing them perform live because yeah. that's really what you want. You don't really yeah. care what it sounds like, obviously, because you yeah. go to live concerts. So, I mean, it seems to me that that would be. I'm going to Earth, too, where they have wireless PA systems. I guess mm-hmm. that's what you still would be a PA, right? Public address. It's just that it would be wireless yeah. into headphones. Now that would be something. If what if what if that had happened?
1: That's kind of like a drive-in movie in a way.
0: Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, they they take the drive-in movies and plug it into the the idea of going to a concert. You yeah. pull up your car, <laughs> and you pop the well, speaker. you still in the- want to
1: get out and dance, but yeah, that, that's an interesting yeah, we- idea because then you would everyone would have perfect sound. They can adjust the volume for themselves.
0: Absolutely, and maybe a Dolby Atmos. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a Pink Floyd concert with headphones and Dolby Atmos and you're all, everybody's listening and you get to keep the headphones. Ah, okay. You know, you get to keep well, them or you could bring your own, well, you know, whatever. Well, you'd have
1: to, I mean, if you want Dolby Atmos, you'd have to have pretty expensive headphones, so.
0: Yeah, well, but on Earth too, all of this is like free of charge. Okay. So. That's fair. <laughs> we're, we're I mean, as long as we're wishing and hoping, we might as well. Okay. Make it all free.
1: Well, I can't think of anything else to say about live music. I haven't been to any concerts since COVID, so I'm still hesitant about that.
0: Yeah, that's another thing, too. That's, in very, that's a very interesting thing. Uh, there seems to be a pre-COVID and post-COVID mindset about live music, whether we like it or not, Whether in it, but there it is. So many interesting techniques, I think, evolved over COVID that uh, they might even be using now.
1: I think we're just starting to see some major societal shifts. HSBC, which is one of the biggest banks in the world, their headquarters were at Canary Wharf in London, and they just announced today that they're moving because of hybrid working. Because so many people work from home and maybe they're not working from home all the time, but two or three days a week work from home so they can hot desk, so they need half as much office space, which means big empty office building, which means all of the lunch places and bars that we're having HSBC employees don't have them anymore. And this is a you know, the the ripples in the economy. When you go to the business district of a city and you see how the economy is built on all those employees working. There. I remember in New York City, if I would walk through Wall Street area on a Sunday morning or even a, anytime Sunday, it would be dead. There would be nothing. You'd maybe have a couple of delis open, but that's about it. So th- this sort of thing, nothing to do with music, but just COVID change that's bringing, you know, changes of work. They, also on the news today, I think it's in the southeast of London that they're applying what they call a hosepipe ban. The hose pipe is the hose in your garden that you use to water plants, mm-hmm. and they're applying a hose pipe ban. And one of the reasons is that there's more demand for water because more people are working from home.
0: Hmm. Yes.
1: So they're home all day instead of at the office all day. They're using more water. Maybe they're gardening a little bit more too, but they're using more water just in general. Right. At home.
0: Right. It's not just toilets so, flushing. It's I want to drink a water, wash dishes, well, but things like to-
1: that. Toilets, toilets are a lot of water. If you go to the toilet a few times a day, and it's at home instead of your office, add that all up. There are a lot of things that are part of a finely balanced system like that, that we don't think about until something goes wrong. Interestingly, so this has to do with technology. I've had an electric car since last uh, August. I got a charger at home in September.
0: How's your AM radio reception? I don't, I never use a radio in
1: the car anyway. I I think it does have an AM radio. But we have been having some problems with, with the charger tripping its fuse. It's got, they do a special electrical installation for a charger, having a splitter right after the meter. So the charger is on its own fuse and the charger's been tripping the fuse. So the charger company, they said to me, Oh, look, it looks like your voltage has been over 260 volts a couple of times. And they sent me a printout of a graph of the voltage. So nominal voltage here is 235. They have a 10% tolerance, so it can go from 216 to 253. Anything above that could cause problems. So what I think is that the charger is set to trip the fuse at 260. And so when it's over 260, obviously it trips. So they told me this, and I called up the Network Grid. That's the company that manages the grid in in the UK. They don't provide the current, but they manage the infrastructure. They send someone within two hours. And he checked it out. He said, well, it's 253 here or whatever, but we'll get someone next week to put a voltage recorder on and check. And he said, if it is above, if it's 254, we have to lower the voltage at a transformer. And he said to me, he said to me, you know, I just saw one of these on Monday with the same pod point charger, the pod points, the brand I have, but it's the first time he's seen them. So electrical grids, he says, this can happen a lot if there's people with solar panels, but we don't have any local. solar we only have a couple people with local you, solar sh- panels. So
0: you're wrecking the grid. You're, no, you're I'm just- not. No,
1: no. The grid is wrecking is, is the other is, way around? Yeah, 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 and I was thinking, well, would it affect my computers? But then I realized they have an AC-DC converter, so the iMac has that big power brick is is basically a transformer.
0: Yeah, you would have had problems long before now if there yeah. were issues with that. That's really interesting. So they have to adjust it at the tr- at the transformer. Is that what you said? Yeah, he said that they can flip a couple switches and
1: they can you know like step it down a little bit. Wow. But then if it gets too low, they got to go back and step it up. And he says sometimes because of solar panels, they have to step it down in summer and then step it back up when summer's over.
0: Are you using AI for this yet? What the heck is wrong with these people? (laughs) This is 19th century technology, Doug. That's right. It is. Don't ever forget wires. You got wires connected to it. It's 19th century technology. That's my rule of thumb now. Yep. Yep. Anyway, all right, look at that. Every every conversation devolves into wires. 19th century technology, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right, next tracks. Go for it. There's a new Pat Matheny album called Dreambox. I've been a fan of Pat Matheny off and on since I first heard his new Chautauqua album in the mid-'70s, which is this really lovely, lush acoustic guitar music. And he came out with a record in 2003 called One Quiet Night, which actually is one of the earliest records I bought on the iTunes music store. It's a solo acoustic thing, even more intimate. And he did another one in 2011, What's It All About? This new one is a, he's playing with himself. So it's, he's playing solos over backing tracks that he's done and some of it's acoustic and some of it's electric. It's that same sort of Laid back Pat Metheny, not his big band sound, the, the laid back solo sound with the really muted guitar sound that he uses. You know, it's like, it's like if Miles Davis plays guitar, that would be the muted sound he'd play. And it's just, it's just so relaxing to listen to this kind of music. The tracks are kind of long for this sort of thing. They're all five, six, seven, eight minutes. There's nine tracks in 56 minutes, really enjoyable. So it's called Dreambox. And I think it's Dreambox because these were like, tracks he'd made demos of and never really collected them and then he decided to put them together. If you ask me, sounds like a COVID project. So, Doug, what have you got today?
0: I am very eager to get my hands on a four-disc collection that is coming out in September. Jeff Beck put together a band in 1972 called Beck Bogart and Apache. Those are two other guys are Tim Bogart and Carmen Apache. They were formerly with Vanilla Fudge, and Jeff Beck became infatuated with those two guys and wanted to do a band with them. But uh, due to some reason or another, contractual obligations or whatever, they were unable to do that. They went on and formed a band called Cactus, and they put out a few records. And then when that was over, they did hook up with Jeff Beck, and they put out one album called Beck, Bogart, and Apache, from which uh, you may know the song Superstition which is a song that uh, Jeff Beck co-wrote with Stevie Wonder. Or at least Stevie gave him a song credit. I think he just came up with the riff. But anyway, surprisingly, I did not know this. Beck, Bogert and Apache were together for about two and a half years. And I guess they just toured a lot. And so there is this four-disc live set coming out in September of Beck, Bogart, and Apache. Half of the performances were recorded in Japan in May of... 1973. And then the other half of the album was recorded at the Rainbow in London in the winter of 74, the January, the following January. So it'd be very interesting to hear how they improved, got better, did better jams, or whatever. They are a definitive power trio because Jeff Beck needs a lot of noise behind him. You know, he needs a lot of rhythm. He needs a lot of sound. And those guys really provided it. If you know anything about Vanilla Fudge, they used to do, you know, a sort of the proto-heavy metal uh, covers. And uh, Cactus did a lot of heavy blues, that sort of thing. So they were primed and ready to back up Jeff Beck when when their turn came along to do this. I'm really surprised they didn't put out more studio albums, but this four-disc set coming out in September ought to fix that craving. Beck, Bogart, and Apache 1973 and 1974, is my next track when it comes out in September. This was episode number 259 of The Next Track. Thank you very much for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comment section of this episode show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Next Track Cast. If Twitter still exists and don't forget to support the next track by making regular donations via Patreon, we're ad free and self-sustaining. So listener support keeps us going. Visit patreoncom slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We will talk to you next time.